Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 Casts with your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. We're going to be focusing in on some NFL highlights today, like the Vikings demo derby demolishing dominating defense. Talking about KU winning, obviously not in football. Another segment of Mike's Stupid Rules with two O's. And of course, our college football highlights of the week. So getting it right into it, Cyclone, the Cyclone football team went into Lawrence and handled the Jayhawks pretty pretty easily. Brock Purdy started off the game with a long completion to Hakeem Butler uh, to open up the scoring in the first quarter. And later on in the first quarter, another deep pass to Hakeem, to Hakeem Butler, which you probably saw on SportsCenter on their top plays, one of their top plays for the day. He skies over the defensive back and catches the ball then proceeds to throw him out of the way like a ragdoll and run into the end zone. So just a complete and dominating win for the Cyclones. The defense held their own. They only gave up a field goal. And in the past nine quarters of football, the Cyclone defense has not allowed an offensive touchdown uh, for the have not allowed KU to score an offensive touchdown. So just just a touchdown in general. KU is not one of the teams that's managed to score on defense or special teams against the Cyclones recently. Unlike it seems like you know most teams have been able to do. So it's just just nine quarters period, no touchdowns for for Kansas against Iowa State. And speaking of our Cyclone defense, uh, unfortunately this week we did break our uh, streak of getting a safety for the past three consecutive games, which I think is a record, isn't it? Yeah, it was definitely a conference record. It never happened, at least in the Big 12, and nowhere in the NCAA since at least 1994 of three consecutive games with the team having a safety. So four would have definitely been a record, and uh, Wyatt would have definitely lost his mind while at, the, while at the game. Wyatt took the trip down to Lawrence this weekend for the game at KU, so I'm sure, uh, sure he had a good time there and definitely would have, uh, would have uh, been a little bit excited had uh, the Cyclones came away with a safety at some point in that game. Don't ask him a lot of the details about the game, though. So It was a really good game. I was with a lot of friends, so I unfortunately didn't get to watch or focus in on as much of the game as I would have liked to. He was, he was talking to some of his friends a little bit too much. But uh, go, keeping, sticking with the defense, I was very impressed with the play of Mike Rose again. Mike Rose is really stepping up his game, and he's playing really well for a true freshman. Um, he's really stepped up, made big plays, Almost had an interception uh, in the game, and he is a strong com- uh, contributor on that defense. And there's a lot of freshmen who are stepping up and making big plays. Obviously, we know on the offense who are who are the people making plays with Brock Purdy leading the way. We have uh, tight end Kohler, I believe, is uh, also making plays. I'm not not exactly sure his first name. I'm I blanking think it's on his that. Name, yeah, I think last name Kohler uh, and. Uh, Milton as well. Trey Milton is also making some big plays over the middle. So the freshmen are really starting to step up. Um, but one of the things that has impressed me the most is Greg Eisworth as well as Lewis uh, for our for our safeties. Eisworth is leading the team in tackles as our strong safety, and he's. He is just a ball hawk. He's always around the ball. He's always up crowning the line of scrimmage. He's really, really been a great addition uh, from junior college for this defense. And Lewis is is a walk-on. And he's our he's second on the team in tackles right now. And he is playing he's playing incredible. He's doing really well in coverage on receivers, and he just is really handling handling everything very well. Brock Purdy uh, on the offense, I thought he managed managed the game really well. There was one instance where I where I saw him make kind of what I thought was another one of those freshman freshman mistakes, something that he should have thought of. His internal clock needs to go off a little bit longer. He took a sack that pushed us almost out of field goal range. We were able to make up some of the some of the yardage back on the next play, but that's. That's just something that he has to have his internal clock going off saying, I got to get rid of this ball or being able to scramble outside of the pocket and try and turn it, turn it upfield. But he was able to make some great plays with his legs, keep the ball alive. And that's something that we didn't quite have when we had Kyle Kemp. Zeb Nolan was able to do it, but Brock Purdy 
does it at a, at a very, very high level. Yeah, Brock Purdy is really good. Something that I saw in a couple of his runs is he's really good at making the first defender miss behind the line of scrimmage with his pump fakes. I feel like his pump fakes are really effective. We saw it at least twice on the same uh, same drive. I don't remember specifically which one it was where he had scrambled out of the pocket and he had a, a linebacker bearing down on him and he, he pump fakes towards the linebacker to get the linebacker to leave his feet to try to block the pass and then runs around the linebacker to pick up the first down. That pump fake has been, been really effective for Purdy to avoid the first defender on his runs because they have to respect his arm because he's been one of the best passing quarterbacks in the Big 12, so he can use that pump fake to be able to, uh, to get some more yards on the ground, and it was really effective. I feel like despite everything that uh, the Cyclones did well, there were still some, still some flaws from the Cyclones in that game. I feel like the offensive line didn't necessarily have the best game. There was a lot of pressure on Purdy. I'm sure uh, Matt Campbell would like to see that uh, cleaned up. And I think despite the fact that they managed to keep KU out of the end zone, I think a lot of that, I mean, there were some great plays by the Cyclones for sure to keep KU out of the end zone, but there was also some ineptitude from Kansas that uh, allowed that to happen. They dropped a touchdown pass in the first quarter. He was wide open heading into the end zone and just mm -hmm. dropped it. And there was some questionable play calling uh, down in the red zone from KU, which we'll get into in a minute. And the Cyclones gave up a lot of yards. KU spent a lot of time in... Uh, in the uh, red zone, had a lot of possessions in the red zone, but the uh, Cyclone defense was really bend but don't break there, which I mean is really, I mean, if you don't give up points is the object of the game for defense. So they did their job not giving up points, but there are still some things to work on that uh, clean up going, going into the game against Baylor here at uh, 2.30 on Saturday in Ames, but I feel like uh, overall a good performance from the Cyclones. I think one area that was much improved over last week was the special teams, especially our kicking game and our punting game. Um, our punts were much better, well executed on blocking. We didn't have any uh, free rush um, defenders blocking punts and recovering fumbles in the end zone or recovering block punts in the end zone. And we also didn't have any blocked field goals as well. Um, I believe our kicker was two for two on attempts or one for one? I think he missed a field he, goal. He missed one? He did yeah, miss he did goal. miss one. Okay, so he missed one. He pushed it a little wide right, but it was pretty close and it was pretty far out. I think it was from 49 yards away and he had just hit earlier in the game a 47-yarder, which was his career long. Um, so that's, I think, I think that's improving. I think Campbell is going to continue to hit on that and make sure we improve that, especially shoring it up for next week. As next week is a tune-up game, getting ready for our trip to Austin in two weeks as that game is looming large in our schedule. But all eyes are focused on Baylor for this week. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so one of the, in the aftermath of uh, Iowa State's win over KU has announced that uh, KU's coach, Beattie, will not uh, be coming back for uh, next season in Lawrence to coach KU football. And I was hearing a little bit of buzz about that uh, during and after the game, and I think a lot of that had to do with two main factors. First factor is that KU's just not drawing fans to their football stadium. If you look at a picture of the stadium from Saturday, you will see more Cardinal and gold in the stands than you would see uh, KU blue in the stands. So I think the fact that KU is getting outdrawn in their home stadium has something to do with it. And then I really questioned his play calling especially in the red zone yesterday against Iowa State. KU has w definitely one of the top three backfield combinations in, uh, in the Big 12 with Puka Will the freshman Puka Williams leading it. And in the red zone, they'd just consistently be trying to, to run pass plays from inside the five, despite having such a great uh, pair of running backs. So I think really the, the play calling, especially in the red zone, is also what did him in and led him to getting fired. I mean, granted, winning isn't necessarily expected. Like, that's obviously the goal, but, like, three wins is not an awful season for Kansas. But I think the uh, the combination of dwindling attendance and awful play calling is what led to him getting fired on the news that broke here on Sunday afternoon. Three wins what this season is the most that he's had in his four-year tenure at KU. He totals six wins total, 
Um, and this year's strength of schedule is actually the lowest that they have had in his four years there. So those those three wins, yeah, it, it was a little bit of improvement, but really I think they gave him four years and they hadn't seen a change of culture there um, and much improvement in, on attendance, as Mike said. So, yeah, I think I, I think KU has said enough's enough. It's time to move on and see, see what we can do, especially while they still have some youth and some talent on the team. They're going to try and keep those guys there um, and bring in somebody who might be able to help win the help get them to win a few more games, change the culture and bring in some more fans. Yeah. But there were uh, definitely some other games across the uh, NCAA and the Big 12 that uh, were some big games. We uh, had the West Virginia with the late comeback, great drive by Will Greer, two-point conversion to knock off the Texas Longhorns in Austin on, uh, on Saturday. That was a, a big win for West Virginia, vaulted them back, I believe, into the top 10 of the AP poll. Seven, That's I believe. Correct. So it was a huge win for West Virginia. That uh, leaves them in the driver's seat for a spot in the Big 12 championship game along with uh, Oklahoma. How, how gutsy was that play call by Dana Holgerson to go for two to win the game? Yeah, that was definitely a gutsy play call, but I mean, that's kind of what you expect from Dana Holgerson at this point. He's, he's made a living doing, th- doing things like that for West Virginia. So I, as we were watching the game here in 83-11, I even brought that up. I said... Hey, hey, I asked Kyle, if, if you're West Virginia and you managed to come down and score a touchdown on this drive, do you go for two? Kyle, do you remember what your response is? My initial thought was West Virginia has been going toe-to-toe with Texas. They've been able to score. They've been able to respond to touchdowns that Texas has scored, and they've been able to keep up. So I said no. But I thought they would, and uh, then again they did, and there was a, uh, a penalty on Texas on the first attempt. Well, it was, no, there was a time. They took first a timeout. First attempt out. was a timeout. The well, first they attempt succeeded, succeeded, but Texas took a timeout right before the play. And then the second attempt, they ran a uh, quarterback draw for Guia, who uh, kicked it to the outside and managed to put it in. That was just a really gutsy play call, playing to win instead of playing not to lose. Well, I they, liked the they didn't even get their second attempt off because Texas called another timeout because they had David Sills lined up against a freshman cornerback, and they didn't like that combination. So then they came back out in a different formation and then ran that quarterback keeper out of the shotgun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, speaking of that game, I, uh, Kyle, uh, again, is is upset about something. Kyle, what are you upset about this week, especially in that uh, West Virginia-Texas game? Both, both Wyatt and I are upset about this game a little bit. So I'm very upset about the officiating group. The, the Big 12 refs were back at it. So initially to start this game, Mike and I were watching the beginning, and – we both came to the conclusion that, wow, they're being tight with some of these play calls. And then I believe it was at the either at the end of the first quarter or start of the second quarter, West Virginia hits a deep bomb pass, uh, Greer to David Sills, runs it into the end zone, and the student section's right there. So he, obviously in an emotional game, big time environment, over 100,000 fans at, uh, the, at the stadium for the game, He throws up his hands with horns down on both hands. And what does he get? He gets a flag for unsportsmanlike conduct. I think it was taunting. It was a taunting flag. It was a taunting flag. I I mean, I thought it was unsportsmanlike conduct because then they said that is his first foul of this manner for the game. But either way... Taunting is a type of unsportsmanlike conduct. So you're arguing semantics. Yeah. But it's, it's the same thing. And so... He gets a flag for that. And later on, after Will Greer runs in the two-point conversion attempt, he also throws up the horns down, and he also gets a flag for the exact same thing. And the thing that makes me upset is that is a big-time game, big environment, emotions are running high, and we, as fans, we do the horns down all the time. So does that mean we get flags for being fans at football games? I do the horns down every game whether or not we're playing Texas. So do I mean, I. it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, you, you don't have to be playing Texas to hate Texas. Horns down all the time. No, and there's been other worse hand motions in football that that haven't had an unsportsmanlike flag on them. Yeah, and there's there's other things that are more egregious. When Johnny Manziel was playing at Texas A&M, he uh, made a pretty brilliant play, pretty amazing play, and he was taunting the fans, and he did, or he did he he did a throat slit. 
Um, and then I think the other, and he got a flag for that. And I think then the other team scored a touchdown and that person did the Johnny Manziel money sign and then finished with a throat slit and he got a flag. Those are way more egregious than throwing the horns down. So that is something that you can't do in those types of games. Granted, those penalties didn't really affect too much on the because they were enforced on the kickoff, but, but it's the principle of it. it though. It's the that principle. shouldn't have happened. Also, right? If if West Virginia is going to get a flag for throwing the horns down after a touchdown, every Texas player who ever throws horns up after a touchdown has to get a flag, right? It's the same thing, right? It's the same type of, of celebration, right? You can't you can't pick and choose how you're going to penalize in these things. So Texas would have to get penalized for throwing the horns up. West Virginia is going to get penalized for throwing the horns down, as far as I'm concerned. But apparently they can. They're, they're Big Twelve refs. I mean. It's not a joke how I, they've been better this year, but in years past, the Big 12 refs have been extremely interesting with their choice of enforcing rules. I mean, re- regarding hand signals, Big 12 rules only bar verbally or physically abusive acts towards, you know, people in the stadium, uh, whether it be fans, officiating crew, coaching staff, other players, etc. There's nothing that says they can't make a hand signal. And another thing that they did is that. Uh, the officiating crew ejected one of the West Virginia players. So right after that, uh, David Sills um, touchdown where he did the horns down uh, motion to the fans on the ensuing extra point, the uh, one of the West Virginia offensive linemen, their starting left tackle who happens to be an all conference or a preseason all conference uh, left tackle uh takes kind of takes a swat at at one of the Texas defensive linemen with an open hand. So it wasn't a punch and he gets ejected for that. Granted, you sh- probably shouldn't respond that way, but in all other games if it's an open hand, it's usually just a 15-yard penalty and you that's the first type of that penalty on you. The next one then you're ejected. You don't get ejected for an open hand punch or an open hand slap on the first attempt. It wasn't even a one-hand slap, though. It was a two-hand. It almost looked like a block. Well, he pushes it was, on his shoulders. Right. It, it, was, it, was, it wasn't late. The hit wasn't late. It wasn't coming in late after the play. It wasn't it was, egregious they, either. They, they were both grabbing each other, you know, by the pads like they were blocking at the end of the extra point. And then the West Virginia player kind of gave Texas a little little shove that went up into the face mask a little bit, and he got tossed for it. Maybe it should have been a penalty. You can argue whether or not that, but it was by no means ground for ejection of a player in a situation like that. Even if it was a penalty, where was the penalty at for Texas throwing punches earlier in the game? There was another player on Texas's team that threw a blatant punch, a closed fist punch to a WVU player on the field, and there was no flag thrown for that at all. Yeah, and and that's something, especially when you throw out somebody of that <coughs> stature, that importance to a team, you, it that early in the game in the first quarter, you can't that that may that's a really, I think it was a really poor judgment call by the referees and the officiating crew just to eject him. That's that's somebody who's of great importance, great value to the team, especially the offensive line. Um, so I think I think there needs to be some review of that game and but we'll some see reprimand what for happens. the officiating crew. We'll see what happens. Honestly, nothing will probably happen. Let's get off of our soapbox here and uh, before we can do what we're going to talk about committee ranking projections. I was watching uh, Pac-12 after dark after this game and I uh, just happened to catch a play for, uh, on the Washington State game uh, where Willie Taylor the 3rd, a linebacker for Washington State, blew a pick 6. Uh, ran it about 15 yards after he grabbed the ball, fumbled it on the third into the end zone. They failed to recover the ball in the end zone, which I don't even think would have counted as a touchdown. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think the the defend, defensive players can recover a fumble in the end zone for a touchdown. Sure they can. Can they really? Yup. After yeah, it was that fumbled, happens. though. Yup. Oh, doesn't matter. They failed to. The ball went out the back, turned into a touchback. I thought it was a hilarious play, and it just kind of made my day, so I wanted to chat about it a bit. But uh, if, if if we're talking about hilarious plays, can we talk about uh, Nebraska's kickoff after their oh uh, first touchdown yesterday? Worst kickoff their, in history. Uh, their uh, kicker kicked the ball backwards on a kickoff. He I, kicked it. He kicked it off himself. Yeah, I had never seen that before. It kind of looked like me golfing. He uh, 
He, uh, backstory on that, I tend to hit my opening drive off my own shin while I'm golfing, and that's uh, exactly what he did with the, uh, with the uh, kickoff. He uh, kicked it off his heel and it rolled into his shin and ended up, uh, ended up going backwards. It was one of the worst uh, kickoffs I have ever seen. And then uh, we're getting off topic of college football here, but then uh, the uh, Detroit Lions kicker is probably happy that uh, that, uh, that took the record for uh, worst kickoff of the week slash year because the uh, Lions kicker on the opening kickoff of the game uh, slipped and fell on his backside as he was kicking the ball. That was also pretty hilarious. You guys should take a look at that play too. So moving on to the committee rankings that will come out on Tuesday – um, so looking, looking at it, Iowa state was ranked 24th in the opening <laughs> rankings and we did have some help. A lot of teams lost ahead of us. My, my only thing is I don't see Iowa state moving up, taking a severe jump, like a really large jump up the rankings. We played Kansas. We beat Kansas. That was, that was a game we were supposed to win. We took care of business. Sure. We, we beat them pretty, pretty handily, but the, the farthest I see us jumping up the rankings is either four or five spots, either up to 19, 20. I would not be surprised to see us at 21 or 22 since we do still have those three losses, um, one of the highest-ranked three-loss teams uh, just in the rankings in general. So that's that's all that I see Iowa State jumping up uh, for right now. Mike, do you have anything to add to that? I would say that I would uh, see Iowa State ranking in at 21 is probably about what I'd see based on who lost in front of us. Not a significant jump, but enough that we're definitely still in the conversation for our New Year's Six Bowl game should we uh, win out and go to the Big 12 championship game. What do you think uh, the uh, top four is going to look like? Personally, the, I think the top four from the selection committee when it comes out on Tuesday is going to be Alabama at one after they're absolutely convincing throttling of LSU. I think Clemson is going to stay at two after they dismantle Georgia. I'm going to say Notre Dame slides up to take LSU's spot at three. And then uh, number four, I'm going to say Michigan with their convincing victory over Penn State stays slightly ahead of Georgia. Correction, Clemson did not play Georgia. Clemson, Clemson played Louisville. Sorry, Clemson played bad. Louisville. Yeah. So that Clemson game looked like a basketball score. They won 77 to less to 10, I believe. 77, 77 to less. 77 than, I, I was going to say less than 10, but I think it was 10 points. Uh, so, yeah, they they scored a lot of touchdowns, a lot of points. So, they're, they're for me, they're clearly number two. Alabama absolutely destroyed the number three team in the, in the country, dominating win at LSU. LSU couldn't do anything. So, they're the clear number one. So, there's one and two. I think Notre Dame comes in at three. They handle business at Northwestern, and it'll be interesting to see if Georgia jumps Michigan with Georgia's top 10 win on the road. I believe Michigan uh, jumps into the poll, slightly edges out Georgia uh, for that fourth spot. I believe Georgia comes in at number five. So my top four, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Michigan with Georgia barely missing the cut. So we both agree on what our uh, top five would be in this case, it sounds like. Well, I think we're going to uh, transition now into some uh, NFL football, talk about the week that was in NFL football. Mike, you were pretty happy with your Vikings performance today. I was happy with the Vikings performance. I wasn't able to watch all of it. I had an ISU women's basketball game to go to for pep band. But uh, bits and pieces of I did see, I saw a Vikings defense that looked absolutely dominant like they did most of the time again last year. The Vikings defense had 10 sacks, which is uh, more sacks than points allowed for the week. So it, it's always good when your defense has more sacks than points allowed. It's hard to lose when uh, you sack the opposing quarterback more more times than uh, they score. So that was always good. A dominating performance by the Vikings. Uh, still leaves them going neck and neck here with the Bears for the uh, lead in the NFC North. We'll have to see the Vikings and Bears still play each other twice. So depending on how uh, the Packers do still in the conversation too, it'll be an interesting finish in the NFC North. The Vikings are leading that division right now, right? No, the Bears are technically leading it okay. because the Vikings have played one more game and they tied it. Okay. So not playing a game is better than tying a game. Yep. yep. So... Uh, moving on, so the game that the Bears were playing in today, the Bears looked absolutely dominant. Uh, 
of course, they were playing the Bills, who are led by Nathan Peterman. At least today they were. At least today they were. And uh, led is uh, up for debate. They, he was just kind of out there. Right now, he has thrown more inner. He has thrown more touchdown passes to opposing teams than he has to his own wide receivers. So that's that's a good stat to have, and good maybe a little subjective in that. Good case, is good is definitely subjective, and there are other quarterbacks, notably uh, former Bills quarterbacks, who are questioning why he even still has a job in Buffalo. And the the only reason for that is because all of their other quarterbacks are injured right now. So, yeah, he he's definitely not the leader that the Bills need. They they are desperately hoping that Josh Allen comes back soon. But I mean, in other news, the 49ers quarterback through Nick Mul or Nate Mullins, Nate Mullins, uh, Nick Mullins, Nick, Nick, Nick Mullins, Nate Mullins, Nate Mullins out of uh, Southern Mississippi threw for more touchdowns in his first career NFL game than the Bills have thrown all season to their wide receiver, or to anybody on their team, really. So that's another fun factoid for you. So the Bills are just bad. We already knew that. But, yeah, things things are going from bad to worse up in Buffalo as they got dismantled by the Bears today. But the Bears' defense looked really good. Uh, of course, every defense who has played the Bills so far this year has looked really good. Except the Vikings. Except the, you know, except the Vikings. We don't talk about that game. We're going to pretend that game didn't happen. Unless wah, the Vikings wah. don't make the playoffs, then that'll be the only game we talk about. Wah, wah. So, uh, Kyle, you were telling me uh, before we started recording here that the Chiefs had a, a bizarre penalty called on them today. You want to talk about that a little yeah, bit, too? Yeah, so, so you know how we've been talking about a lot of bizarre penalties that we haven't seen, like defensive holding on a run play, uh, well, I, I saw a first today. So the Chiefs were uh, trying to drive in the waning seconds of the first half, and they uh, tried to complete a deep pass, and there was a penalty. There was holding on the play on the defense. So they obviously the clock is stopped, so they run up, and they only have one timeout left, and I believe they're about 13 seconds, or no, they're actually nine seconds left on the clock. Um, and... So Patrick Mahomes gets the gets the signal in from the sideline to spike the ball to can to preserve that last timeout so they could run another play. Apparently, you can't do that. He snaps the ball uh, with the clock not running yet, and he spikes the ball, and the referees throw a flag and call intentional grounding. Apparent, according to the rules, after or what they explained after halftime, is that you cannot uh, spike the ball after a penalty that stops the clock, which I was completely unaware of. And they had interviewed Andy Reid after the second half, and he said, "Yeah, that was a head scratcher. I've never seen that in my career." And he was like, "I was really upset when they called that, and I still don't know why that's a rule, but." A rule's a rule. So there's your interesting rule that you might not have seen before. But in the showdown, the rematch of the wild game from two years ago between Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield when they combined for over 15 yards of offense between the two of them and set multiple records during that game, Patrick Mahomes won this showdown throwing for 375 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. He looked completely dominant. Kareem Hunt was, again, phenomenal. Travis Kelsey was great. 99 yards receiving, two touchdowns. And the Chiefs continue to roll. The defense looked bad once again. The defensive line is starting to make some really good plays, though. I think the defensive line is definitely the strength of this team. The secondary is awful. Uh, we're in desperate need of Eric Berry and Daniel Sorensen to come back from the injured reserve. We'll see what happens there. But the Chiefs Chiefs continue on. They're at 8-1 and one with a date with the Cardinals next week and looking forward to a meeting with the Rams in two weeks in Mexico City. Yeah, so uh, what I find is interesting is how would you rank the top three teams in the AFC? So it looks to me like the top three teams in the AFC in no particular order are the Patriots, Chiefs, and Chargers. So I find it interesting just think about how those three teams stack up against each other and how you'd rate them as far as in the top three. Because you've got the Chiefs that knocked off the Chargers earlier in the year in Los Angeles, but you've also got the 
Patriots who have knocked off the Chiefs. They gave them their one loss. So there's no consensus as far as how they've played each other into how you'd rank them. So I think I think it's really interesting to talk about how you'd rank those teams. Do you think the Patriots are the best team in the AFC or that the Chiefs are? Personally, I think that the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC despite the loss to the Patriots. Then uh, I'd put the Chargers slotted in at second and the Patriots in at third. I, I would actually... I have a different order for that. I'm going to go with the Patriots at one for right now. Um, I, until, until the Patriots lose another game or until the Chiefs lose another game, um, just based off of what I saw or what the, the outcome was from that Chiefs-Patriots game um, and kind of what the consensus is in a lot of the power rankings, I would have to put the Patriots above the Chiefs right now. Um, that's, that's a hard pill for me to swallow. <laughs> But I put the Patriots as the top team in the AFC, followed by the Chiefs, and then by the Chargers. Uh, I think a lot will come into clarity when the Chiefs play the Chargers at Arrowhead Stadium coming up here um, at the beginning of December, I believe. So that'll be a big game to decide kind of who's king of the AFC West. Um, But those, those are my top three. And moving into the NFC, how would you rank your NFC teams now with the Rams' first loss of the season coming at the hands of the Saints today? I would say that I would rank the, uh, you got to rank the Saints at number one. I think they've had that week one loss to the Bucks, but they haven't lost since then. I think that they are firing on all cylinders, especially now that they've got Mark Ingram back. So I'd rank the uh, Saints at number one and the Rams at number two. I think that the, the Saints are better than the Rams with Ingram especially. Is there a third team in contention for the NFC, or is it just a two-horse race at this point? I mean, those those two are definitely the front runners. There are some other teams who could be you could consider in contention, other teams with uh, the best records is in the uh, NFC in contention for that. Carolina sitting at 6-2. and two is probably uh, your next best team in the NFC as far as being in contention for that number one. But I think they're, they're still a significant uh, way behind the uh, Rams and Saints. Yeah, so after that, so we we kind of started a, a little bit of a joke of a segment last week on things that football players shouldn't do, um, mainly because the Jaguars got caught fighting in London. So in our in our next edition of this segment, Mike, what are some of the things that football players shouldn't do this week? Yes, things things that we had this week that uh, football players shouldn't do. The first one came out early in the week. The uh, Giants backup quarterback uh, just about ran over a cop in his car earlier this week and uh, got arrested for that. So on the list of things football players shouldn't do is... Uh, almost run over a cop. Also, you just shouldn't do that in general. Miguel Sano also found this out the hard way, baseball player earlier this year. But, uh, you know, spe- football players uh, specifically should uh, should not do that. The other thing uh, we found out this week that uh, football players shouldn't do is that uh, you remember Jamarcus Russell, who was uh, top overall pick by the uh, Oakland Raiders. Oh, I don't even remember what year it was. Boomer. That, that was a definitely bust pick. Yeah, he was definitely a, a bust pick, but the number one overall. So in um, in some of his uh, early years, there was uh, definitely thoughts by the uh, Raiders coaching staff that he wasn't actually watching the film that they uh, – that they were giving him to watch. So one week they gave him uh, blank tapes instead of actual film. And he uh, came back the next day and said, yep, he uh, looked over all the uh, blitz packages for the opponent just like uh, just like uh, the film that they gave him uh, was for. So uh, don't say you watch film when you don't watch film. That's uh, also on the list of things football players should not do. As a total recap of my probably new favorite segment, things football players shouldn't do, we have beat your family members, get into a fight in a nightclub, not necessarily a London nightclub, just any nightclub, graffiti the bridge, throw a dumbbell at the head coach, run over a cop, and get caught not watching film. 
All right, that seems like a uh, good list to me as far as we'll keep uh, we'll keep growing on that as uh, stories break, keep you updated on things football players should not do. So uh, something that I'm really excited about that we have uh, upcoming here is that uh, college basketball season kicks off, uh, tips off here uh, this week for most teams. So I'm really excited for uh, some college basketball, get the uh, Hilton Magic back going in Ames, the uh, Women's team kicked off their exhibition schedule this week, and so did the men's team, and both of their uh, regular seasons start this week as well. So as far as the uh, the men's team is concerned, Kyle, who do you uh, feel will uh, win the Big 12 this year? Do you think KU will uh, get it done for the uh, 14th straight year and get at least a share of the Big 12 title? KU looks way too good. The only team who is really going to be able to challenge KU this year, I believe, is K-State. K-State returns all of their starters from last year. K-State, K-State's going to be a good team. They're ranked in the preseason polls. Um, and But I, honestly, I don't see K-State beating KU during the season at all. So <laughs> I think K-State's going to lose both of those regular season games. And if they meet in the Big 12 tournament, they're going to lose again. KU just looks incredible. They have... They have the the Lawson uh, brothers coming in out of Memphis and pairing up with Uduka Azabuke, as well as Mitch Lightfoot, who blocks basically every shot that comes his way. On a side note, apparently Azabuke is making free throws this year. Last year, he was statistically one of the worst free free throw shooters in the history of college basketball. And in his exhibition game, he made three out of four. So wow, he at seventy five percent is a big improvement over I think it was about twenty percent last year. So he was definitely the uh, the the scapegoat when it came to fouling people. Everybody was trying to foul him at the end of the game. That's why they took him out and put in Mitch Lightfoot. But KU KU just has too many people to put out on the floor who are going to be able to contribute. They have um, a transfer guard from Cal who's supposed to start right away he's been compared to Devonte Graham who we know was incredible and he's got comparisons to Frank Mason just his true grit and grind so that's going to be tough to watch and I they can only put five people on the floor and they're probably going to rotate in eight people who are better than pretty much everybody in the conference so KU's going to get it done Bill Self who's going to coach them up he's he's really going to get them um, KU's, KU's going to win the conference again. The only team who can probably challenge is K-State. Um, I think Iowa State's going to be running for about the third or fourth spot in the conference, maybe second, depending on how we, we mesh together this year. But Big 12 Big is going to be KU's again this year. Yeah, I agree that uh, KU is definitely one of the uh, best teams in the nation. Um. So you said that you could see the uh, Cyclones being the uh, maybe third, fourth best team in the uh, Big 12. Do you see them uh, rebounding from an off year last year and making the NCAA tournament? And if you do, about what seed? What would be your seed prediction for the Cyclones this year? We're coming back. We're seven seed. I said that last year. and Seven seed. It was ridiculous. The seven seed last year was absolutely ridiculous. I understand that. I think this year... Coming off that rebuilding year we had last year, which, yes, it was a rebuilding year. It wasn't just a fluke. We're going to be really good this year. I'm very excited for our team. I can see us coming into the NCAA tournament as a seven seed. Yeah, so I, it's really going to depend on uh, what Lindell Wigington is going to do leading this team. I think Weiler Babb is going to handle the point really well, uh, take, that, take that point responsibility back so that Lindell Wigington can really work without the ball. Um, if Cameron Lard stays out of foul trouble and knows how to handle his anger management and not get technical fouls, uh, that, that might help. Um, we're going to lose Solomon Young for a couple weeks, who's out because he had knee surgery. I believe that that's what his surgery yep, was. That's correct. And it, it's also going to depend on how, how our freshmen can contribute right away. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton was a really good shooter coming in. I think Terrence Lewis is going to play much a much larger role, and Talon Horton Tucker is going to be, I think, our key bench bench player coming off coming off the bench. He was an incredible uh, player for Simeon High School, uh, a high school that produced Derrick Rose um, back when he or before he went to Memphis. By the way, Derrick Rose basketball. scored fifty points this week. Just shout out to Derrick Rose. What a performance! Had a very was. very good game. Very uh, good comeback 
game. It's been a long road for him to get there. Um, but yeah, I looking at what we have now until I actually see them play a cohesive and a full game together, I eight or nine seed. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna so for the record, last year all of the other as uh, members of eighty three eleven predicted that the Cyclones would make the tournament somehow, and I was the only wheelist in the apartment who predicted that they wouldn't even make the NIT. Look who turned out to be right. That would be me. Thank Thanks you. for rubbing it in our faces. Yep, no problem. It's just because I'm better. So this year, I am uh, again going to be the, the most pessimistic one of the three of us, though I still think it's being the most realistic, even though it's also the most pessimistic. I have the Cyclones right as a bubble team going to be right in that uh, final group that's in consideration for the selection committee. I have them coming in on the correct side of the bubble as an 11 seed is so, what I have them coming in I mean, in we're in all reality, we're not that far apart in our predictions between each other as most of the times the 8 or 9 seed are the teams who are real close to the bubble, especially coming out of Power 5 conferences um, like the Big 12. Um, I mean, in recent years, I guess if the Cyclones are finishing, if we're predicting the Cyclones as finishing fourth in the Big 12, in recent years, the Big 12 has been known to get five, six, even seven teams into the tournament. Is The Big 12 has really made a good showing. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, in all reality, our picks aren't that far apart. Wyatt's is a little more outlandish, but... Nothing new there. Nothing new. Okay, now it's time for uh, my fav- favorite segment of the week, and I know it's all of yours, too. It's the Mike's Incredibly Interesting Rules segment. Stupid all of yours? All, all of their yours. All of theirs, yes. All of their favorites. Who are you talking segment. to? Nobody else likes this. No. Everybody loves this We have segment. gotten negative feedback on this. I have gotten lots of positive feedback, especially from my pal Victor, about this segment. So this is... Definitely everyone's favorite segment. Mike's incredibly interesting. Okay, well, that's one against the rest. Sorry, Victor. So my my interesting rule, we're going to stick in the realm of hockey. I was thinking about going to football for the interesting rule this week, but I'm going to stick in the realm of hockey, and we're going to teach you about the difference between a high-sticking penalty and a playing-with-a-high-stick violation. So just like in, in basketball, right, you have the difference between like a foul, which is like, you know, a block or a violation, like traveling, right? So there are violations and penalties in hockey too. And as far as high sticking, there are two different ones, one of which is a penalty, one of which is a violation. So high sticking violation, which does not result in a trip to the penalty box for you to uh, feel shame, is that uh, when you play the puck, that's above your shoulders, when you hit a puck above your shoulders with your stick, that is a high sticking violation. That results in a uh, dead puck and a face-off at the uh, nearest point, where a high sticking penalty would be where you would hit your opponent in the face with your stick. That is a high sticking penalty. That results in a uh, two-minute minor penalty, two minutes in the penalty box for high sticking if you hit your opponent in the face with your stick. It is a double minor penalty, which would mean four minutes in the penalty box if uh, you hit your opponent in the face with your stick and it drew blood. If you draw blood, that's a double minor for four minutes in the penalty box. So now when you're watching hockey, you'll know the difference between a violation for playing the puck with the high stick and a minor penalty for high sticking. So You've a, all just been educated. It's a violation to use a hockey stick as a baseball bat if you're going to hit a hockey puck, right? No, not necessarily, because the puck has to be above your shoulders. You can't hit it if it's above your shoulders. But if it's like, like at your, if it's like at your hips, you can bat it in with your stick if it's if it's at your hips. That's legal. So if you're chopping wood with a baseball bat, but it's actually a hockey stick, and the puck's above your shoulders and you hit it, it's a violation. But That's if it's correct. somebody's head, because you don't remember how big the size of a baseball is, and you're thinking about baseball on the ice, so you hit your opponent's head instead because that's the closest round object that you have to hit, you get thrown in the penalty penalty box. But if you draw blood from their face, you get double time in the penalty box. If I followed what on earth you were talking about with baseball bats and round objects, I think you get it, yes. Yes. I think so. There's no, no, no baseball bats in hockey, though. We'll work on that in the future, explain to you what a, what a hockey stick is and how it differs from a baseball bat. They're both wooden things that you hold with your hand and hit stuff with. 
Well, after I paid close attention to that segment, we will move on to our uh, write that down segment of the podcast today. So just an update. Uh, According to Mike, we have had no write that down predictions come off the board for the week. So no red X's will be going up on our two sheets of paper now. We have moved into a second sheet. We still haven't gotten our whiteboard marker yet. No, we're we're still looking for sponsors. Maybe a GoFundMe could be set up for that. Drew Brees, we're looking for you to get us a whiteboard marker. <laughs> I hope you're still listening, Drew Brees. We really do appreciate it. Great game today, by the way. Yeah, it was phenomenal. You saved my uh, fantasy football team with a with a great performance. So, so in that write that down <laughs> segment, I will I will take the lead. So with with the news of KU firing their head coach, uh, my write-that-down prediction comes from this. I am calling it right now that KU will win their last game of the season. They will beat Texas at home to give their head coach a final victory in his tenure at KU. So KU will knock off Texas again, just like they did two years ago in Lawrence. Okay. My write that well, down. We, we got to assign a point value to Kyle's oh, prediction sorry. here. What's the, whoops, what's whoops, the point whoops, value whoops. there? My bad. I will give that. Uh, it's not going to happen. I'm going to give I'm it a triple. triple. Yeah, that's triple. what I was going to say. Hey, we'll that's going to happen. For that. All right. My write that down prediction. Hopefully, uh, Josh is uh, in his room listening to the uh, Packer game right now, so I don't think he's paying attention. My write that down prediction is we're leaving the realm of sports here, and that is uh, that uh, Josh will arrive late to at least two of his classes slash labs over the course of this next week, as documented by me sending a Snapchat to a time-stamped Snapchat to our roommate group of his empty seat at the time class is supposed to start or later. Given his poor performance so far this year, are we leaning towards a double? For that one? Yeah. Because it I I, if, if he that. said if he said one, it would be a single, but since he said two. We we he only Josh only has eight classes over the course of a week. So Wow, that's, that's rough. Saying twenty five percent. I'm thinking two points. Two points. I like we'll, it. We'll give him a double for do, that. Do you know what would be I, a home run though? If Mike said that I would make it that I would ooh, how do I word this correctly? If Mike said that I would miss at least ah. Uh, if I would make it to every class this week, that would be a home run, as I'm trying There's to no say. chance you're going to make it to your 8 a.m. tomorrow, so I'd lose right there. Fair enough. What's your write-that-down prediction? So Why? I'm bringing us back into sports here. Um, I'm going to say, I'm piggybacking off of Josh's prediction from last week that the Cyclones will not lose a game in this regular season. And I'm going to say the Cyclones will not lose a game in this regular season or the postseason. This would, this would be including any bowl games and assuming we're going to the Big 12 Championship, that we will also win that game. Well, Wyatt, since you and I were dumb last week and we gave Josh a triple, <laughs> we have <laughs> to give you a home run for that. I yeah, do. I'm upset at all of you for giving Josh a triple <laughs> for that last week. I'm upset at myself. Week. But yes, this prediction, so bad. I am not seeing upset. as last week we gave Josh a triple for saying they'd win the win in the regular season, and all that's happened since then is we beat Kansas. That doesn't change the odds of winning out very much. We have to give Wyatt a home run saying the Cyclones would get two more top 25 wins on top of something that we'd already have as a triple. So Wyatt's prediction has to be a home run based on how we set this up. Uh, that's unfortunate. It's not unfortunate for me. Uh, Mike, I believe since Josh is busy watching the Packers game that you have his prediction to share with the world. I do. So Josh's prediction for the week is that the Iowa State Cyclones will remain. So in the latest uh, coaches poll and AP poll, the Cyclones are ranked above Iowa. And Josh saying that the Cyclones will remain ranked above Iowa in all three polls. So the uh, AP poll, the uh, the coaches poll, and the college football playoff rankings for the remainder of the year. <laughs> Iowa State will remain ranked ahead of Iowa. Is Can Josh's we just prediction. give him zero points for that? It's going to happen. There's no way that Iowa's going to beat Iowa State in any of the three polls for the rest of the season. I am gonna. I would give him a double for that, a personally. Double? Really? What's your reasoning behind that? That we don't know that Iowa State will necessarily be ahead of Iowa when the college football playoff rankings come out this week. Plus that uh, if, Iowa, if Iowa State were to lose to, uh, to Baylor maybe and Iowa picks up a big win against Northwestern next week, 
then who knows, we could flip back. I would be willing to give him a double for that. But you two, you two can decide what we actually give him. Kyle, I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm going to say a single here. Ooh, I'm the tiebreaker here. Oh, boy. Uh, Iowa does go to Northwestern next week, and then they have cupcakes, cupcake games against Illinois and Nebraska. Oh, I, It's all going to come down to how it turns out after the Texas game. And Mike's right there. We don't know the college football playoff rankings yet, so I'm going to lean toward the double. We don't know those playoff rankings, so we can't determine where Iowa is going to be ranked. Um, I, I think they're going to be lower than Iowa State, but speculation. So, double. All right. There you have it. I'll write that down, predictions for the week. And uh, we will see. Maybe, hopefully, we'll get some predictions that actually come off the board next week so we can uh, get that buzzer going as we're all bad at our predictions. But we'll see. Yeah, and so this week, uh, if you have all been um, following our Instagram account at 8311cast on Instagram, please please go give us a follow. Uh, we've been uploading some stats and some statistics and some interesting facts, plus me watching the football game on Saturday to our Instagram and we'll be updating our story. So if you have any interesting tidbits of facts or information that you come across, uh, send us a DM and if I like it, I'll throw it up on there for you. Uh, and maybe we'll even give you a shout out in the podcast for it. So yep, follow us on our Instagram and send in stuff that you want to see on the podcast or that you want to hear on the podcast and that you want to see on our Instagram. Cool. And with the end of our right and line prediction segment, I think this will conclude episode six of the 8311 cast. Thanks for listening again uh, to this episode. Tune in every Monday for a new episode and subscribe to our feed on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Find us on Instagram at 8311cast, as Kyle mentioned earlier. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have... Kyle. Mike. And Wyatt. Um, Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. See ya. Go Cyclones. Bye-bye. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Bye. Dismissal? No. No.